Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Happy New Year to everybody tuning in for the first time in 2023. Hopefully you used the last couple of weeks to catch up on recent episodes and editions of Smith and Jones, and I hope you enjoyed all of your holidays, folks. I hope everybody stayed healthy and happy over the last couple of weeks. We have been on hiatus for about a week and a half, two weeks now, but fresh content right at you in this first week of 2023, and we will be with you every week for this entire year as well, bringing you fresh stuff and some of the biggest and best basketball names and guests across the country, across North America, and across the globe. And uh, another big one for you this week, and we're going to start it off right now with one of the best stories, at least from a national perspective, in 2022, the Canadian senior men's team. They're on track. They're eyeing the worlds. They're hopefully eyeing the Olympics as well. And uh, to chat about Canada and basketball and a whole lot more, we always love chatting with an old friend of ours as well, the general manager of the Canadian senior men's team, Rowan Barrett. Rowan, uh, great to chat with you as always. We always appreciate your time. And I want to kind of just take a big picture look back for a second here. We're uh, a week into the new year. Um, Looking back at 2022, the program overall, I mean, there's plenty to celebrate for the women's program, and especially when we talk about the senior women's team, uh, and there has been for a long time. For the men, uh, it's been a grind, but 2022 was definitely quite the coming out party and and sort of reestablishing Canada I'm assuming, I don't want to put words in your mouth, where you not only want to be, but where you've expected to be and where you hope to be for years and years to come. Absolutely. I think, you know, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I think first, you know, we're 10-0 and right now in qualification uh, for the World Cup. We've never, ever done that before, right? And so, you know, you, you, not only do you want to build on the talent and, and build your systems, you also need to see some results. Right, that, that lets you know that you're moving in the right direction. And I think that that is one of those things. Um, we're one of the, I think, three undefeated teams on the globe right now um, going through qualification. So I think it speaks a lot to our systems, speaks a lot to our coaching, the continuity that we have, really kind of all the things that we put in place coming into this new quad. Um, and then, you know, going down into the U23 and down into the youth ages, we have so many players now for example that are in the nba that are playing at the top levels of europe that sometimes when we get to the summer there isn't enough space on that team you know for those guys but with the new qualification structure that we have right where you've got to play these games in november and february where some of your athletes that are in the euro league or in the nba they're not available to you so you need this next group you know of athletes that are you know in the pros maybe not at the highest level of the program but they're good players they're in the pros and that u23 um, tournament that we had this summer in the Global Jam, this is the space now where those guys can get in and play, get their, their FIBA experience so that they can fill in like the Tommy Scrubs and the Phil Scrubs, you know, um, as we move into the next cycle in those Novembers and February. So, you know, we're very, very happy with where we're going with the development of our players, of our system, um, with our coaching, and uh, this is going to be a big year coming up. Rowan, it felt with all the close misses that we've had um, in qualifying for the Olympics, and uh, we did get a World Cup last time, but with all of the the near misses and the almost, it was almost like losing a pickup game 7-5. And all of a sudden, up at the top, you and Nick, Michael Bartley said, okay, that's it, no more Mr. Nice Guy. When I go back on the floor to run, my team's going to be good. So you get the three-year commitment from guys, 
the four year the, for, to the quadrennial, and you have something going forward. So even though he didn't play this summer, Lou Dort was there. Dylan Brooks was there. Jerry Colangelo kind of did the same thing back in the day with USA basketball. Like, we're not just going to roll it out anymore. We're going to get a commitment, and we are going to pick a proper team. So when we take the floor, like you said, no excuses. I mean, that's that's the plan, right? I, I think that in order to win internationally, I mean, to win anywhere, you know, you kind of have to have all pistons firing, you know? You've got to have the players on the court. You've got to have the coaching. You've got to have the, the right type of budget to give you the right type of opportunity. You know, you kind of need to have all of these things firing and then have some sort of continuity, right, where guys, the left hand knows what the right hand is doing. And we've really struggled to find the continuity consistently because it, it's been difficult to put the players consistently on the floor each time. And so, you know, we knew that. Uh, we, we always worked at it, g- gave it all that we could. And, again, as you said, even with all the challenges, right there, right? Like, one shot to go to the Olympics, you know, twice, right? (laughs) We've been in that situation twice. One shot to go to the Olympics, and we lose by one or we lose by two. It's You know, this is the situation. I mean, the last time it was in overtime, right? So we got even a little bit closer. I think that this time, uh, one of the the things for us that, and this started, you know, 10 years ago, was we needed to build up a strong and, and vast group of players that we could choose from so that if one particular player is, you know, not playing in one summer, uh, you still have a chance to win. You know, if, if, if two players, for example, are not playing in one summer, you still have a chance to win, right? And so it, it took time. We had to build our system and build these players, and now you see them. They're in the NBA, right? Like you see Shay, and you see, you know, Jamal, and you see RJ, you know, you see all these guys. All of these players, it's taken a number of years to build this up to now. We finally are in a position where we've got 20-plus guys in the NBA. Not only are they in the NBA, as well as the guys over in Europe, but what you have now is their contracts are lining up, right? Their contracts are lining up where they're under contract now for multiple years, right? So there shouldn't be a contractual issue, which sometimes gets in the way of being able to get your guys on the floor. And we actually have a really good moment in time here where we have enough players that are under contract for, you know, multiple years for this year and for the Olympic year that, uh, you know, outside of injury, uh, we, we really shouldn't have an issue for those players that have committed to be getting on the floor this summer. And, you know, if we've got the players on the floor, we've got the continuity. I believe we've got one of the best coaches in the world. We've got the right system. Um, and we're working towards putting together a really good schedule to prepare this team to play in the World Cup. Right. And, uh, you know, we're ready to go after some of the lofty goals that we have. Hey, Rowan, I'm going to preface this by saying extremely long winded question slash statement here. So so Jonesy and and, and Rowan buckle in for a second. I was actually just watching the Redeem team documentary last night for the second time. My wife and son hadn't seen it. So I was watching it again for myself a second time. So Jonesy, when you talk about the commitment from USA basketball and Jerry Colangelo, I mean, it's it's absolutely top of mind right now. Rowan, you just said as well. The fact that there are 20-plus guys, the talent is deeper than it's ever been before. So it's not about one guy. But there were some recent comments in the last week or so, week and a half, that came from Andrew Wiggins. Now, I read the statement, and to me it sounds worse or looks worse in black and white than I think the overall intention or the, the tone of which what he said was actually delivered. And I'm paraphrasing, but the basic gist is, 
I'm at a different stage in my life in the sense that I got kids now. You know, I, I, I've got commitment to my family, not just to my NBA team. And Wiggins kind of said, and again, I'm paraphrasing the comment, I would love to play if they make the Olympics, but I'm not doing no three-year commitment. So whether it's Andrew or whether it's anybody else, any other player, Rowan, how do you balance the talent that we would like to have overall versus somebody that's willing to play versus somebody that's not willing to do the full three years, not just because they're not committed to Canada, but because they do have other stuff going on. How, how did you balance that, or how did you come to a decision as a management team, as a coaching staff, that this was a prerequisite, and how do you handle that going forward in terms of is there any wiggle room for a Wiggins or an anybody else if they haven't committed to the three years? You know, I first want to say Andrew's a great kid, right, and a kid, he's a grown man now with a family, but... I mean, I remember working with Andrew at 15 years old, right? And I, I remember asking Andrew questions that, uh, you know, to get his mind thinking, to try to expand his thinking, right, as he was going into the pros. Uh, had whatever little I could, obviously, he had a great father there supporting him and lots of support. He was always a smart kid. Um, and, you know, I got a chance to, to see and meet with Andrew also, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I met with him and we spoke, had a great conversation. And so, uh, you know, Andrew does love his country and, uh, under the right circumstances, would like to play. Uh, but, you know, for us, as a, as a program, um, what we had to do to answer your question is we had to, you know, give our athletes coming right off the heels of the last quad. We said, look, we need to get a group of players, get a group of players committed, and they're going to sign to this commitment. But they are going to come and they are going to play. And if they can't show up, if, you know, if they're injured, because that's another issue, right? If they're injured or there's a contract situation, we still want you coming. We still want you in camp so that you're learning what's going on. That, you know, we're coalescing together. Some guys might be working out by themselves, you know, in the environment, doing that um, outside of our team practices. But just being in the environment and showing the other teammates, I want to be here. I am a part of this. We felt that that was vital for us moving forward. So the majority of the players that you expect to see on that team this summer are on that list of 16 that we put out. So the answer to your question of who those players are has kind of already been answered there. Um, the one caveat that's been there, though, is that, look, if there is an opportunity somehow, right, some way um, for, uh, you know, because of whatever challenges might you know, arise um, and there's a, there's a tryout spot, you know, available, um, you know, our arms are still open for, you know, athletes, you know, an athlete that, that, that's been with us and that really wants to be, you know, um, um, with us, there would be an opportunity to try out. But our focus right now is going to be on, obviously, our players that have committed, that have shown that they want to be here, that are here, and we're working feverishly, um, you know, towards that as we go through these next months. Our first thing is here in Venezuela. We've got two more games to finish uh, the qualification uh, games, um, even though we've already qualified. We'll try to finish undefeated there, and then we'll get – uh, you know, deeply into our roster and doing all that. But uh, we already know the, the players that we have committed um, to playing this summer, and, and we'll have to watch the season and see how it goes. We're hoping that no injuries happen. We're hoping there's no other challenges, and, and the picture will become a little clearer, um, you know, exactly on how that looks uh, moving forward. But we are light years ahead um, at this point of the process um, of where we've been, um, you know, in the past several years. So, so, Rowan, let, let me ask this. Um, for You talk about how far ahead Canada we are in the process. Let me ask you this, because it obviously comes down to relationships and communications, as most things in life do. 
what does check-in look like? I know that you uh, and Nick, I mean, it's easier for Nick at times uh, because of the NBA schedule to, to, you know, see guys at games or, you know, have a lunch or a dinner with a guy the night before when they're in town, when he's in town uh, on the road. But for you, with some of our guys that are over in Europe, you know, the, the, the Phil and Tommy Scrubs, the 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 Keja Kajami Keen, those those people that aren't right under our nose. What does the check-in look like with our guys to keep in touch with them, to keep them informed, to uh, keep tabs on their health, their needs? What does it look like from you as the guy who's who's really the the you know the you know the the, the puppet master, the dice master, who's who's controlling everything and ultimately has to kind of put this put all the pieces together well i think i think there's the great i would say that our communication with those athletes is probably the best that it's ever been um and, and in terms of you know just touching lightly again on the nba guys like I, i'm seeing these guys and nick is seeing these guys right and so it's always challenging when they're coming to toronto right because there's all the family and, and everybody's there it's, it's actually better to see them when they're on the road you know and so, you know, I, I see quite a few of them. I, I, I see them coming through New York, um, and, and I, I'm able to speak to them there, which is great. Obviously, Nick is seeing them too. And so, you know, the communication is good with them. And then when it comes to the guys that are overseas, we're now seeing them three, four times a year, right? They're playing in November, February, June, you know? And then, you know, they're coming back to play. So we're, we're getting to see them multiple times, one. So we see them, and they play for us more than our NBA guys do. So immediately that impacts our communication it's much higher i also think um you know our coaches are doing a you know a, just a phenomenal job our coaches of our our windows teams in november you know you know and february are doing a phenomenal job communicating you know with, with our athletes and obviously we're watching them we're watching their performances we're, we're we're talking to them congratulating them if there's an issue with their bodies or whatever if i've got to put a guy on a plane you know to to, to get out there to support one of our athletes we've done that in the past um, and so, you know, but my understanding of these athletes, and obviously I played, and whether it's the NBA guys or the guys in Europe, during the year, they, for the most part, they want to focus on their teams, you know? They want to focus on their teams. They want to focus on the race that they're in, you know, in their conference, and, and they want to do that. And so for us, it's more light check-ins, you know, here and there. It's, it's more congratulatory, you know? Hey, good job. Saw you there playing, man. How you doing? How you feeling? Hey, I know you just got back on the floor. You know, it's, it's more topical, you know, for them than it is, you know, trying to call them each and every week. I mean, you know, those guys also have families, right? They also have responsibilities. They've got their face on the marquee in these different cities, right? You've got your billboards up all over the city. You're in the magazines. You've got the, the television crews coming into your home and everything else. Um, you know, they've got some busy lives over there, too. So, you know, we're not, uh, we're not hitting them up every day. <laughs> But uh, we are contacting them. We feel that the level of communication is at the right level. We survey them when they come in after they finish playing with us each time just to doubly make sure, you know, where we are and what they're feeling and everything else. So uh, that's been going really, really well. And I think we've seen it um, in the results, right, in that multiple of these players have been coming back over and over each and every window in November and February. They're there. They're showing up. If, unless they're injured or there's some problem, they're there. And I think – their commitment, I think, speaks to the level of communication um, that, we, that we have. Because this is a results-oriented business, as you shared, Jonesy, early. And so uh, those results show, show you 
um, the level of the communication and relationship with those players all through the year. Hey, Roland, I want to switch gears sort of slightly. And, Jones, I'm going to guess you, you'll want to weigh in on this after we hear from Rowan as well. Um, like, basketball has been a part of my life now for more than 25 years. It's been, you know, even greater, even longer for both you and for Jones. You guys have worn the colors of the country. I haven't. But I, I think of the passion that I have for this sport. I look at the way that this sport has grown in Toronto, in Ontario, in Canada, and globally. It's now... You know, soccer and, and basketball, the number one and two participation sports, not just in the world, but in our country as well. I looked at the recent World Cup of soccer, and again, history, I know soccer, football, whatever we want to call it, has been the global game for so long. But the national passion that exists for whichever country, whichever country people are affiliated to, when it comes to the World Cup of soccer, it's so entrenched, it's so intense. Do we get to that point with basketball because even just the most recent, you know, Canadian World Juniors as well, it's like people are tuning in for, for junior hockey and whatnot. And we saw the passion, obviously, three years ago for basketball with the Raptors and, you know, damn near three million people rowing in downtown Toronto for the championship parade and the, the ratings for radio and television through the roof for the Raptors championship run. The ratings and, and popularity have only gone through the roof more and more and more over the years that the Raptors have been good and they've been established and approaching 30 years as a franchise. But yet I don't know that, that, that it's the same for Olympics or for World Basketball Championship, for World Cup, for basketball as it is for hockey, as it is for soccer, as it is for others. And I just don't quite know why. Do, do you have any sense of or any opinion on that? You know, I, I mean, I think there's probably many different ideas around that and why. Um, but, but I do know one thing. I know that <clears throat> when your sport is visible, uh, visible to the fans, visible to the kids um, and they see winning happening, uh, something that they can rally behind. Um, you know, we, and you have events happening within the country, within the cities um, that grows your participation base. It grows the interest. And I think with the new competition structure that we have, we're finally now having routinely having games at home. You know, I think that that's a big part of it. You wanting to have your, your games at home and the, you know, the, the fans being able to actually see these players, you know, I think it's much different if your team's far off, they never get to see them. Even if you win, like, you know, they're always far off. You don't get to see it. You don't get to feel it. One, I think secondly, performance drives that too. You know I mean? You got to win, right. And, and winning brings more eyeballs. It brings more attention. And, and so, you know, you know, I think our, our thoughts are, you know, you really want to engage your country and you do that by, you know, providing more opportunities for them to see you, but you also do that by winning, right? You've got to win. Everybody loves a winner. And so, you know, that, that's our goal. You know, that's our focus. And I also think, you know, it's important that, you know, the personalities, the athletes, the people that the fans can get used to that, you know, like you're not rolling out, you know, a bunch of different people. All the time. I think it's important that, you know, you, especially at the men's level, you know, the senior men's level that, you know, people get accustomed to who these guys are. They, they understand their stories. They, they understand where they're from, what communities they're in. There were times when our Canadian athletes were coming back to play, you know, you know, in, in Canada, you know, against the Raptors. And there was vast parts of the stadium that didn't even know there was a Canadian on the other team. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, right. And so if you want to grow that, um, you know, we, we've got to, they've got to see our players playing in the red and white um, more often. 
and they've got to see them winning. I think those two things, I think, would, would potentially drive the interest. Uh, you know, marketing and all of those things are important, but, you know, all those things, in many cases, they follow winning. They follow performance. So, you know, that's our focus, and that's what I can – That you know, you can't, it's hard to control, but, you know, that's what I work at at, uh, at controlling on my level is getting our teams out on the floor and winning. And, and right now we're 10-0. and 0. Um, We're moving. Things are looking good. And we've got some players that are phenomenal players and that are performing at some of the highest levels, you know, in the NBA as well as in Europe. And so you know, our, our goal is to put those guys on the floor in a way that, that's uh, with some continuity. Um, and, and now hopefully with enough experience in FIBA to understand this game and to be able to look eye to eye with whoever we have to play, you know, in the world and, and look to go qualifying for the Olympics right out of the World Cup uh, this summer. Rowan, just to kind of echo your point, and Eric can vouch for this. I think it was about 2001 when uh, we were having a great debate about Vince going to graduation and all of that. And I remember saying with the attention that it was garnering, and Eric, can, we can vouch for this. We said it, I said it on the radio, and people were ready to kill me, that at one point, in, it may not be in my lifetime, but Canada will see basketball as big or bigger than hockey. And I don't know if we're there yet, but the gap has closed significantly. And to Eric's point about people supporting the country, you're right on. If we start winning more, if we see Canada winning more, and there's a familiarity built with our players, we're going to have the rabid, boisterous, vociferous fans driving up and down in the street, waving Canadian flags, honking their horns when we start winning basketball games too. I don't know if I'll be around to see that, but, but it's coming. And, and I guess my question to you, Rowan, is how do we start that through the World Cup? What's the process in the World Cup and winning there that will get us to the Olympics in Paris in 2024? So the focus with, with the World Cup is that you've got to finish within the top. In our region, you have to finish within the top two placing teams within the region to qualify directly to the world, to, to the Olympics, right? So, um, like if one team finished first and another team finished fifth, but those were the two top placing teams from the region, you're going. Uh, now, our focus obviously is to reach the podium, right? Like, you know, we're trying to hit the right. podium, but, you know, hitting the podium doesn't necessarily mean that you qualify. Right. If there's three teams from our region and you're the third team, uh, you know, you're not you're not qualifying straight straight to the Olympics. So, you know, that's our goal. And then, you know, obviously the, the other way we, we know, well, um, we had some pain in that other way going through the qualification um, and not getting it done on the year of the Olympics is the other way um, to qualify by winning one of the Olympic qualification tournaments in the year 2024 but our our focus is to get this done and out of the way um, at the end of this summer and then be able to have a full year you know to plan and get ready um, you know for the Olympic Games and you know I I think there's another thing when it comes to the popularity of of the sport I think one of the things that hockey's always had is hockey you know you have multiple teams in the country multiple professional teams in the country Mm -hmm. right To, to, to really get the imagination especially of young kids, you know, to, to get their imagination um, for years, decades, right? Uh, you know, you, 
you got teams in, in Edmonton and teams in, in, in Manitoba. You know, you, you had a team there in, in, in BC and in Quebec. And like you're, you're, you're spanning the majority of the country with the professional teams. And so, you know, you're, you're going to get a rabid base within each province, right? Of people that are pushing for their teams. Like it's the life, it's our, you know, our national sport. Um, and I think one of the things that hopefully also can help us is, you know, obviously now we've got a, you know, we've got a strong professional league now with the CBL coming along, right? And they're getting now teams in multiple provinces, right? Where you can get the community out, the young ones out to watch those games. Um, you know, it's not the NHL, right? It's not, you know, at that level, but it's still professional basketball. For a, a six-year-old kid, you know, an eight-year-old kid that's going to those games, watching those pros, like they're in awe, right? Watching those games. And you're hoping that those kinds of things, you know, also help to push it. I think some of our sponsors, right, and getting the messaging out, getting it across social where a lot of the young kids are, um, you know, as well as, you know, getting it on, you know, some of our, 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 our support, obviously through Sportsnet as well, getting the product, getting it on, on TV, I think also has been important to the growth. And that just having more and more of it um, available for fans to see, I think has been really, really important. And I think those things will, will grow the game as well. So I, I think that hockey uh, is the sport that we continue to, you know, compare to. Um, I do think there's a lot of uh, advantages right there with teams embedded in multiple provinces for years and years and years, decades and decades, um, where, you know, the, you know, the, the grandfather, the father, you know, and the son, you know, the grandmother, the, you know, the mother and the daughter, you know, are all going to the games and, and can remember, you know, back in the sixties when, you know, they were watching them, you know, their team, you know, when they were growing up, I mean, there's a lot there. And so, you know, there's always something I think that will be there. I think obviously soccer is a global game and we are a nation with people coming in. I mean, just Toronto alone, we've got over 200 countries of people living here. Right. And so, uh, you know, they're coming in with soccer, right. As you know, a sport that they know and understand. I think that basketball um, is one that has been introduced. And I think the NBA has done a great job of being pushed into, you know, more than 200 countries into those households. Um, but, you know, are there leagues in all of these countries, right? Is there teaching in all these countries for the, you know, for, for the kids that maybe are coming over now to Canada uh, to this game? So, you know, I think that we have the job to, to educate the country. I think the Raptors have done great with that. Um, but, you know, again, I think winning will, will drive a lot of attention. And I think the more and more professional teams you see in more and more of the provinces, I think will also help that as well. Hey, great stuff as always, Rowan. We appreciate the time. Again, congratulations on a heck of a 2022 and uh, look forward to uh, hopefully even greater success in 23 as well. All the best. Okay, thanks, guys. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Jonesy, let's shift our attention over to the Toronto Raptors. We are quickly approaching the halfway point of the season, and it continues to be uh, a grind, a struggle for the Raptors. Uh, a, a lot of narrow losses, a lot of uh, dramatic finishes, but I don't know, Jonesy. I don't know if there's a turnaround coming like we saw last year. The record for the Raptors this season is very, very close to what it was at this same point last year. And even as we approached 46 games last season, the Raptors were 23-23 and 23 before going 25-11 and 11 down the stretch. 
to ultimately finish as a top five seed in the Eastern Conference to go into the playoffs, ultimately to bow to the 76ers. But there was reason to be optimistic. And now this year, the first half at least, it's been a grind again. It's leading a lot of folks in Raptorland to be talking about trade, trade this guy, trade that guy, overhaul, tank, tweak, whatever it might be. Fire this guy. Get rid of that guy. What does the future look like for this team? We got into this with Michael Grange uh, a couple of days ago. We wanted to replay a portion of that conversation for you. But, Jonesy, where do you stand on this in terms of what to do, if anything, with coaches or players or just the current state of affairs with the Raptors? Well, listen, I'll say this, and this is – it's philosophical. It's your nature. And by nature, I'm a patient person. So – you can look at last year as the glass was half full or the glass was half empty. They had a bad start. They won basically two out of three coming home over the last 36 games to finish with a coveted top six spot. All right. This year, because of that, you have expectations. No doubt they've started out poorer in a, in a poorer fashion than they wanted to. So the, the glass half empty people will say, well, can you count on winning two out of three coming home again? Well, wait a minute. They have one of the top five easiest schedules coming home. The glass half full person says, here we go again. Let's just be patient. Let's get healthy. Let's get it together. Let's clarify roles and let's see what happens. Maybe they don't win two out of three coming home, but they finish strong, and you're in a good position going forward. And then there's the other noise that says, well, you've won a championship already, so what, go for the play-in? Well, no, wait a minute. You're going for a championship, but along the way, there are steps. Do you want to skip that play-in step and sell people off and then maybe take a step backwards? Because, listen, implementation is such that when you change things, whether you change your golf swing, whether you change your, your, your jump shot, whether you renovate your house, things always get worse before they get better when you decide to make a change with grandiose visions going forward. So to me, let's minimize the impact of huge changes going forward by making them a little at a time, which would say to me, I'm not selling off. Not that I'm not selling, but I'm not selling everything. Let's look at things a little at a time and exercise some patience going forward because you know where you want to get, but you don't want to go backwards from here to try and get there. You're going to have small slips and plateaus. Let's try to minimize those going forward. And yes, the end goal is still a championship. All right, for more on this very topic, let's bring you to a recent conversation we had with our colleague from Sportsnet, Michael Grange. Michael, thanks for sliding over here and uh, joining us courtside as uh, we get set for the Bucks and the Raptors. Um, before we talk about the game itself and, and whatnot, I want to reference your article from earlier today, sportsnet.ca. Um, you and I have talked a little bit about this uh, on TV the last couple of days, last couple of weeks, it seems. I know, Jonesy, you, you and I have chatted about it, but we'll bring Michael into this. One of the key points of the article is the league, essentially, the way you've written it, Michael, is kind of waiting on the Raptors to sort of set the bar. 
What's your sense of where things stand with this team and how or when that bar might be set? I wish I could provide some insight onto that because, and you know, from everything I've spoken, all the people I've spoken with, everything I gathered, in, even internally, they, they're not sure yet. They're very much in a, um, they've been evaluating, uh, you know, as you might expect daily, but I think that there's been a real intensity about it the last few weeks. And, um, you know, you're still, what, five weeks to the trade deadline. So, um, you know, I don't think they're in a rush to do anything, nor would you be. But, you know, the reason the league is looking is because there is a sense that some decisions have to be made. And, and I think they're, they can be as, I don't want to call it minor, but I think they could be as predictable, you know, right. as, you know, with Gary Trent Jr. for just the nature of his contract and, and uh, you know, judging whether, you know, he's somebody you can resign in, this, in the offseason. Well, if not, there's a guy who's, for all the reasons we would expect, a lot of teams in the league would be very interested in. And, and you know, if that's the most predictable, well, that's a really good player who's starting on a pretty good team and uh, who offers a, a premium skill. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot, of players, a lot of teams interested in that. And then you can, and it just kind of sort of, I don't want to say snowballs, but it just kind of unfolds from there. And, and it really, I think it depends a lot on how this team does in the next 10 days, two weeks, three weeks, um, as we were talking about the other day, Eric, because, um, you know, if things kind of continue on the path they're on, then I think the changes could be a lot more aggressive. And, and, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of teams would be, kind of look at what might be available i'm not saying anything is available and want to be a part of that michael let's face it to me the timetable got skewed last year i mean a year ago at this point the raptors are around the same record and it was accepted as a different kind of year because they just come back from tampa and they were in the lottery and people were still, well, Scotty Barnes looks pretty good. And, you know, that people were still lamenting not picking Jalen, all of that. And here we are after one year and finishing in the playoffs, all of a sudden the expectations have gone through the roof. If you're the front office, yeah, you're managing your roster. But, man, you're also managing the expectations. And what level of patience do you exercise with putting this group together? Did they, did they over, I mean, we know growth is not linear. Did they over exceed it to the point last year where now you're forced to make moves or do you stay with the plan? Oh, I don't think they're forced. Um, you know, and, and, and I mean, you, you do make a good point. And, and that's why this is such a critical juncture because it was literally almost to the day this yeah. time a year ago that they reeled off six wins and then they kind of stuck around 500 and then they reeled off, I think, an eight win eight-game winning streak, and then they finished even stronger than that, and, and that's what get, got everybody excited. But I think a couple of things are, are different, Paul, and one is um, your point guard turns 29, I think, next month, um, and you're, and he's in a potentially a contract year next summer, and your franchise player, Pascal Siakam, turns 29 in April, and he's going to be eligible for an extension this coming summer. And then you've got, as we've talked about, Gary Trent Jr., who's yep. going to be a free agent if he turns down his option, which you know he will. And then, you know, and you kind of keep going there from, from there. And then OG Ananobi's only a year away. And, 
um, Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes. And, you know, that I think that's where there's, you know, I don't think that they're, they're forced to do anything. But I think it's prudent to be very seriously to think about what might need to be done. Because the worst thing you would want to happen is, say, Gary Trent Jr. goes to free agency and he just leaves. Yeah. And that's a really good player you can't replace. Um, and, you know, that's on management when those kinds of things happen. You don't want to use the word asset, but, you know, you have to manage your strengths and your weaknesses. And, and um, you know, and then you're going to have to talk to Fred Van Vliet and see how that conversation is going to go. And, you know, all those things keep happening. And so that's why I think, sure, two years isn't a very long time in the NBA. And I think if this team had got off to the kind of start I think they were hoping for, you'd expect with the continuity they had and the kind of offseason they had in place, um, people would be a lot – there wouldn't be this sense of urgency. Uh, people go, okay, this is what we were expecting and how do we build from here? Um but that hasn't happened, and if it doesn't happen fast, well, you don't want to be—you don't want to be left holding the bag. So I'm going to ask a, a similar question, but maybe in a little bit of a different way here. If—and I underscore—if a deal ultimately does come, to your point from earlier, whether it's a minor tweak or a major splash, if a trade comes, does that—is that the first domino to fall? That these other dominoes you just touched on eventually fall in place or stay in place? Because are you kind of? starting to tear down or are you tweaking does it matter what comes back then in x trade y trade and that thus then has an impact on okay are we locking into a 150 million dollar extension for fred van vliet are we locking into 150 plus in a supermax 200 million for pascal siakam does one equal the other equal the other or how do you see it playing out yeah i don't think it's at this point and again i'll go back to what i said off the top like literally i don't think that anyone there's anyone who really knows. I think all those scenarios are being played out. They would have to be. I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it's very rare that kind of really big deals come together at the last minute. So I'm sure that there's a lot of kind of, if, if X happens, then Y, and if Y happens, then Z. Um, you know, and, and the Raptors would be no different. I think, you know, I think from the rest of the league, you know, and if, then it's, important, it's important that, you know, the context of this, this is somebody from another team saying this to me, going, going like, you know, we know what we would do if these guys wanted to go this direction right, because right. we know how we value these various players. Um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the Raptors are going to do uh, any of those things. And, 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 and I would also say, you know, Toronto's had pe guys pending, pending free agents and – it's looked like maybe the wise move would have been either to move on or sign and trade or whatever. And they've kind of let them go to the market. And in the end, they've come back anyway. And, you know, Fred Van Vliet would be an example of that. Mm -hmm. uh, DeMar back in the day. DeMar back in the day. Set up for less than the max, right? Kyle Lowry did it twice. Yep. yep. <laughs> right? Yep. So, you know, just because a guy is a pending free agent and, you know, doesn't mean that there's a market out there for them. So, you know, you know there could be a scenario, just as I'm looking at Gary Trent here as he's warming up, um, you know, maybe he does go to the market. Maybe he does realize, you know, this is the best place for me because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and, and it's a, but it's, I think from the Raptors' point of view, they've got to be sure. They can't guess on that. Um, they've got to have a really good feel, you know, because like I said, you don't want to lose, lose a good player for nothing in return. 
Um, and yeah, to your bigger question there, I think it will depend a little bit on how they play. And, you know, it could be, I'd be surprised, obviously, as everybody would, if they were to really go down to the wood and be super aggressive and start, you know, moving on from excellent players. But um, at the same time, you have to be honest and go, they had a great finish last year, but they had, a, you know, the first 40 games weren't all that great. The first 40 games this year haven't been all that great. So what's the real sample size of this team? So as you – I'm there's so many thoughts in my head, Michael, as we talk. I mean, this is – we could go a long time with this. When, when you think about the rest of the East, because ultimately you're judging yourself against, against the competition more than anything else. When you look at the moves that have made in the rest of the East, where do you go? Because, I mean, Washington reels off five games, and all of a sudden they go from 13th to 8th or 9th or wherever they went. Uh, you know, how much does that factor into it? I think it's a factor, and, and, and as I said, I mean, that's why this is a really important juncture in the season because, um, you know, I think if – I think I did the math the other day. They would need to go – I don't know, 33 and three. I shouldn't do math on, on live radio, but they would have to do. Eric, they'd have to go on. Eric a, they, does it all the time, and it's <laughs> they'd terrible, have to do so. something like a like a 60 win pace to get to 48 wins, which is where they were last year. Now, if they could do that, and they end up fifth or sixth seed, and well, you know, you'd be justified at having having st- stood pat. You right. know, okay, maybe it was injuries, maybe it was this, and we really are onto something. Um, you know, but but I think you. Could, it's also like, what are your goals, right? It is is, you know, if they end up sort of slightly above 500, finish pretty strong, and they're in a play-in, and, you know, they still got all these pending issues out there. It's a, I think that the driving question, and we've all, we all know Masai, and, and we, we know Bobby, and, you know, the, the, the organization wants to win. They want to win, yeah. And, and so what is, that I think is the ultimate question. What is their most realistic path to being a contender you know, and it doesn't have to be next year, but but you know, what moves can they make to be a contender? And I think that's probably going to be the driving question. And um, you know, on one level, they got a lot of great players, and those are the ones that are hard to get. On the other level, you know, maybe they got to take a couple of steps backward to take a big step forward. The Raptors have never, except for the year in ta- Tampa, have never been, and Masai wanting to win have never been one of those teams where, as you said, you strip it down to the wood, you tank. You know, like we, we don't hear cries for tanking for Victor Wembanyama here or anything like that. You, you got a fan base to look at too, Michael, because yeah. let's face it, over the last nine years, fan base has been pretty spoiled. They have been, and, and you know, they've also had a couple of years without that many fans in the building. <laughs> so that's maybe a factor too. But, but I think, um, you know, I think what you want to avoid and what I, I know they want to avoid is – being in a situation where they're kind of they're maybe too passive uh they end up you know in 11th place or 10th place and it's you know and you're you haven't you know a guy like gary does walk out the door for no for nothing uh you still got all these contract questions and you're drafting you know 11th overall or 12th overall you know it's not it's not exactly a lost season but you haven't really advance the program very much and I think that's where you know a lot of the decision making is being made is is how can we use the situation we're in now to advance our opportunity to contend 
Well, and, you know, some version of the status quo could be it. Yeah. Patience might, you know, patience is not, is not often a bad thing. Um, you know, but like I said, I, I mean, I think they've, they've got to be pretty honest with themselves and go, you know, is, is doing nothing or next to nothing or staying pat, uh, is that really the best next move? Yeah. Michael, thank you for your time. Oh, always, Paul. Thank you. That was our colleague from the TV side of things and, of course, the uh, digital side. You can always check out his work at sportsnet.ca. Michael Grange, and follow him along on Twitter, on social media as well. Fantastic insight there from Grange, Jonesy, and uh, certainly it will be interesting to see what, if anything, the Raptors do as we now approach the trade deadline coming up in four or five weeks. Um, It's going to be interesting around the league, but, again, especially here in Toronto. You know, speak about trades – Obviously, the biggest trade in franchise history was the acquisition a few years ago of Kawhi Leonard. He was a piece, obviously a very big piece, of what the Raptors did in their 2019 championship run. And a big part of that as well was Norm Powell, the guy that the Raptors ultimately dealt away to acquire Gary Trent. And since then, since that trade, Jonesy, with the Portland Trail Blazers, um, well, Norm's got another new spot. And he's sort of back home, in a sense, in Southern California, in Los Angeles, along with Kawhi playing for the Clippers. So to get a greater sense of how things are going this season for the Clips and to talk a little bit about the Toronto connections and the history for those two players as well, we recently had a chance to hook up with the radio voice of the Clippers, Noah Eagle. Noah, not surprisingly, I want to start with a former Raptor. Well, one of the former Raptors and maybe not the guy that uh, everybody thinks of right away in Kawhi Leonard, but Norm Powell. Yeah. The impact that he made on this community overall, let alone the impact that he made on the floor. And interested from your perspective, what it's been like for a guy essentially back home, his impact, same thing, community, but also on the floor because he's one of those guys that just seems to morph well into whatever type of role you need from him. Yeah, I mean, he's a team first guy, Eric, and and not – Unlike your beard, he has fit in perfectly. I mean, he has just been trimmed to a T for Thank this you. team. Yeah, no, I, I think that what, what Norm brings is a mentality that he's going to do whatever it takes, to your point, to help the team first. But then being back home and, and close to San Diego, where he's originally from, going to UCLA and Westwood, he's around a lot of friends and family already. So it's just comfortable just from day one. That part was huge. And then you take into the fact that he can be in going out into the community, do a lot of what the Clippers do as well, just from a team perspective, they go out and do a lot in whether it is Inglewood, where their new arena is going to be built in a couple of years, or out and about during the holiday season. That's a big deal for them. So they knew Norm was a player that they targeted for a while because of all those qualities you mentioned. And then all the on-court stuff is really just bonus with him. No, when you got to the bonus stuff, and of course we were all watching the Detroit game. And I, I believe I saw a stat where the Clippers were 0 and 473. It was something around that. It was when something trailing when, when, when trailing under three minutes by the margin that they were. To yeah. be honest, I, I got up and went to the bathroom and came back, and the people I was watching with said, wait a minute, this isn't over. <laughs> and, I, and I know that, you know, there was no Kawhi, but Norm was part of that. And talk about his impact in the locker room, as as a as a stabilizing veteran, yes, there are stars and Paul George and, and and Kawhi Leonard, but you need those other guys because when the stars aren't playing, as we saw in Toronto here when Kawhi was here, you need those other guys. Norm has, to me, from the outside, 
he's been huge in that regard. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I think you mentioned it. He had a big three during that fourth quarter comeback. They were down 14 with three minutes left in the game. You know, Teron Lou just told me that he was thrown in the towel when he emptied the bench. It wasn't a, hey, maybe these guys can spark. No, no, no. He said, we got a back-to-back. -back. Yeah. Get these guys off the floor. Let's see if maybe we can get a little extra rest. And so they just so happened to bring the energy, and Norm was a, as big of a reason as anybody because of what he does on both ends of the floor. And I think to bring up that veteran presence is key. His veteran idea is what got him in the league in the first place. You guys know when you his saw defense. him first, yeah. defense. Yeah. Yes, yep. defensively is where he made his money initially. And so he never lost sight of that. He still, if you watch him, he is as technical as it comes defensively, deep in his stance, making sure that he's hustling from the very beginning of a possession to the very end, trying to track down a rebound. And I think that matriculates itself more than anything else. Look, you guys knew when Kawhi was here for the one year. When your superstar is quiet, the team can be quiet. And you had Kyle Lowry to almost drag everybody else yeah. and, and galvanize the group. And the Clippers have that in Norm being someone who's been a little more vocal. Marcus Morris is willing to be pretty vocal as well. They've got a couple guys in the locker room. But Kawhi and Paul George are quiet by nature. And so you need players like Norman Powell to say, hey, guys, we got this. Nick Batum's another one. We can do this. We can do that. We're capable of this. We're capable of that. I think he's been that more than anything else in the locker Have room. Have you ever got wind of any conversations between a couple of Cali guys, Norm and Paul George, about the playoff series <laughs> in Toronto here? Because that was the one that – PG was 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 taking it to Toronto, killing it. I don't know what happened. Frank Vogel took must have taken something to put him to sleep for that's a little when bit. Playoff Powell really burst on the scene, and that was yep. Playoff Powell. I mean, he's got a dunk that still runs on TV commercials yep. up here, where he took off from. It seemed like the three point line, almost lost the ball. You ever got wind of any of those conversations? No. No. We. Uh, what I think happens is I think that every time Norm wants to bring it up, PG just goes like Dave Chappelle and pleads the field. <laughs> he doesn't want to go there because he knows what the end result, the yeah. destination Can't is going to be that like. One. Of yeah. course not. Of course yeah. not. But listen, this is why I love coming here is because the crowd is so great, and I think that's what powers guys like Norm, guys like Kawhi when he was here to get over that hump is just the additional push from the great support of as you guys know, in an entire country. I, I want to ask you this as well, and it's off the court really, um, but somebody just hit me back on Twitter with this when we mentioned that Kawhi is playing tonight, and that's obviously great news for, for the Raptor fan base that, much like a lot of markets, has missed out on certain stars sure. over the last couple of months that as we navigate through, and it started with Kawhi in Toronto with load management, and now whatever you know, fancy word or description you want to slap on it now, every team in the league is dealing with it. What's your perspective, Noah, in terms of how the league deals with trying to figure out when a guy's playing when he's not playing. They tried to curtail it and curb it, the league, in terms of slapping down fines. Now it seems like the teams are just happy to pay the fine. Like, we brought it up a couple weeks ago when the Lakers came to town. Darvin Ham, and I'm not trying to single him out, but he admitted that he went to LeBron a few days yeah, before and said, yeah. that's a game that you're going to sit down. And he had to convince LeBron. So from a league's perspective, it is now creating quote-unquote injuries or excuses to not have guys play in a very long-winded way of saying is the one way around this getting rid of uh, tiered pricing, dynamic pricing, and every game is the same price no matter what? Because the fans are really the ones yeah. that are kind of getting pooched and all no, this. No, 100%. I think the fans suffer more than anybody, no doubt about that. But uh, there's no real correction to this issue now. I think that we're so far in one direction that it would take yeah. – it takes a very specific type of player. But even when you get that type of player – so LeBron James is a great example. For however long in his career – his mission was never to miss a game because he knew that it could be the one time one kid gets to go to a game and gets to see him. Right. And that it, it, he puts himself as he, 
his own child self at eight years old, if I got to go to a game to go see Michael Jordan, he didn't play, yep. I'd be devastated. I totally get that. But at the same time, I think there's so much more information with these players, and they know it, they see it. They see the, the very tangible evidence of, hey, if I sit out a couple more games, maybe I only play 70 versus 82 or 65 versus 82, I can elongate my career sure. two years. Sure. I can make more money. I can then walk without a limp for the rest of my life. I mean, we've seen it. Doc Rivers was with the Clippers my first year, and now Teron Lue has been here. Both of those guys struggle to move, and they played long time in yeah. the NBA. They played heavy minutes in the NBA, and Doc would tell you, he'd be the first one to tell you, if he had load management, maybe that would change. Now it was a source of pride back then. And the other part about this is it's not even up to the players anymore. Sure. A lot of times it's up to the medical staff or a coaching staff. And, look, I've seen it firsthand where guys, Kawhi being one of them, says, I want to stay in. They go, you can't. You've hit your minutes yep. cap and yep. you've got to sit down. So it's tough. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, no uh, doubt. For me, I would, and again, being of that vintage that, that actually watched it, uh, I, would, I would get rid of the dynamic pricing. I would. And I would start the schedule – like we did before, move it back a week or two. Mm. No back-to-backs. No, even if you had everybody at least one day off in between. Games. Yeah, it would change a lot. It would change a lot in my eyes, Noah. And I, I mean, to me, this is still the team that I think is coming out of the West. As much as people look at, and that that's a whole other issue. People look at Denver and what's going on. And I, I see our guy Tim Bontemps here, and <laughs> yeah. he's got a straw poll out about the MVP. I'm not giving Jokic a third MVP. I'm sorry. <laughs> the other two, to me, were crying wolf. I, I would have given him this one and not one of the ones of the other two. But Fair. that that being said, to me, the Clippers are still the team that I think is coming out of the West. What do you see in terms of the minuscule improvements that are pushing this team kind of up the standings and are going to prepare them for April, May, and June? Well, it starts with the claw. Having Kawhi back on the court and looking like himself pre-injury has been critical. These last two weeks, really, he had a, a first game against Boston where he goes 10 of 12 from the floor, 25 points. It was the first time we said, oh, that's Kawhi Leonard. Yeah. Oh, that's the two-time finals MVP. That's the guy that a couple years ago just single-handedly went Superman, it felt like, and just big-time shot, big-time shot. And two years ago with us, it just felt like, if he didn't get hurt, he could have done it again. He was putting up those ridiculous numbers against the Dallas Mavericks and then against the Utah Jazz. So that's the first part of it, always. You've got to have your superstar playing like a superstar. But getting healthier overall. Norman Powell missed 10 straight games. And you yes. guys mentioned how yes. high of an impact he brings on both ends of the floor. Luke Kennard missed a handful of games with a soft tissue injury. He's back and shooting the ball at nearly 50% from three. And it's not like he's not taking them either. He's taking five, six, seven, eight threes a game. Nick Batum's starting to shoot a lot better. Terrence Mann is figuring out what his role is. So I think everybody is settling into what they're supposed to do because the centerpiece of the team is not only back on the floor but now playing like he normally does, and that's a superstar. And Paul George has been the perfect running mate for him. So the pieces are there. They just got to get it all kind of glued together. Awesome. Thank you, man. Appreciate course, it. Man. Watching the time. So. Thanks, No, man. I, I Thanks. saw. I was, I was impressed by your, your double <laughs> multitasking extra-looking abilities. There we go. Thanks, no, man. I appreciate it. Of course, it. guys. That was the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers, Noah Eagle. That's going to do it for another edition of Smith & Jones. Again, folks, we appreciate you tuning in each week, whether beyond Fan 590 or, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. If you haven't subscribed, make sure you do so now, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, or otherwise, your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, download, review, rate, all that good stuff with fresh content weekly on Sportsnet 590 The Fan 
and in the podcast world as well. For our producer, Austin Mackey, for Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks to all of you again for tuning in to Smith & Jones.